0: Right now is the most critical time for us to take back control of our food supply and become self-reliant by having our very own food forest. Transform your yard into a food forest and create a system of self-reliance that's easy and enjoyable with our friends at Food Forest Abundance. No matter where you're starting from, you can become more self-reliant. You can take your self-reliance to the next level by becoming a producer of your own food through growing and foraging. Learn how to turn your property into an income-producing source of economic self-reliance. If you're ready to go off-grid, click the link in the description and use coupon code FORBIDDEN for discounts on your very own food forest with food forest abundance. Welcome back to Beyond Classified. I'm Chris Matthew. Today, my guest is Jim Lee. He helps people understand complex ideas by creating maps, timelines, articles, and lectures. His blog is Climate Viewer News, where he has compiled geoengineering and weather modification history into one massive timeline, complete with lists of companies, patents, sponsors, and laws. Weather modification history is an international effort led by Jim and Dominic Marama, combining both investigative journalist superpowers to create an unparalleled online repository of factual references in chronological format. Jim, welcome. How you doing? Pretty good. Want to fight about it? (laughs) Nah, I think think (laughs) I'll take your word for it. Thanks for joining (laughs) us, man. This is going to be great. I've been looking forward to this.
1: Appreciate you having me.
0: Yeah, of course, man. Weather controls. And warfare. I think these are the topics that uh, attract tons of misinformation and disinformation, and it can be very difficult to decipher the truth in this community, uh, especially when there's so much BS out there about this. But thankfully, people like yourself have a strong understanding about how our skies are being manipulated, and you get to educate the audience a little bit. So, like I said, looking forward to this, but this is your first time on. Tell us a little bit about your background and what led you to this research.
1: Well, um I'm forty-five years old. I have a wife of twenty-three years, twelve year old daughter, six year old daughter. I'm in Sumter, South Carolina. Um, have moved all over the US. I've lived in Omaha, Nebraska, Bend, Oregon, in the Coolidge, Casa Grande, uh, Arizona area for seven years. And came back home because uh South Carolina, the people are good and the food's better. Um I got into this initially just because I have an it background. I've been working on computers since I was 15 years old. Um, as a security guy slash the mostly joking hacker. Um, but as a result, uh, I was pretty, I, you could pretty much say I was born on the internet. Um, I was on it during Windows 3.1.1 um, with Trumpet, Windsock, with old dial up, you know, when the 56K modem came out, I was one of the people going, yeah, let's go fast Internet. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but as a result, you know, over you know, the past 30 years of being in the security um, area you tend to run across things repeatedly, you know, just things that, you know, the average person wouldn't be privy to forbidden knowledge, one might say. Um, And, you know, this is the one that kind of, you know, just broke it open for me. You know, I was in Air Force Junior ROTC, um, and I had plans, you know, to go in the Air Force, and we did an entire year of study on the weather. And this never came up (laughs) the idea that weather is even modified, let alone the fact that, you know, the military had been involved in steering hurricanes. um, You know, the whole Vietnam operation, Popeye weather warfare, nothing, not a mention of it. And, you know, I, I had heard, you know, a lot of the same stuff that most other people have heard, you know, angels don't play this harp, you know, Later in life, and I'm going. This Nick Nick Begich guy, who is he, and you know what is that? And um, basically, you know, I started mapping out things, uh, you know, around the world that interested me. And at the time, my biggest interest was, you know, like government overreach, spying um, on ClimateViewer News, ClimateViewer.com. I talk about pollution, privacy, and propaganda. So I started mapping out pollution sources like fracking wells, um, the Bayou corn sinkhole, um, nuclear reactors. Then I graduated to nuclear explosions and NSA spy facilities, the Five Eyes members, um, Australia, New Zealand, Canada, US, UK, um, did all of their spy facilities in a single map, which got me an interview from an NSA guy on my beach vacation which is hella creepy. Um, and I was sharing this on the Google Earth community and it had, was the most downloaded um, Google Earth KML file there. Um, most votes, I guess you could say. And uh, then I decided to include weather modification projects and suddenly the moderators took my beautiful file and moved it to what they called the other sentient side a.k.a. the tinfoil hat part of the forum. (laughs) And two things. I don't like being called a liar. I don't like forum moderators. So uh, 14 years later, I think I've proven to the world beyond a shadow of a doubt that weather modification is real. Weather warfare is real. Weather modification has a hundred-plus-year history. And I've pretty much declared war on the propagandists from the climate change slash runaway global warming uh, movement. Um, and what I say to them is, don't talk to me about climate change if you don't know about the climate changers.
0: Right. Right on, man. Now, you say this has been going on for over 100 years. Uh, can you give us a a little rundown of the history and how this all started? Sure. Um,
1: so you can pretty much divide weather modification into three huge categories. Um, the early days would be known as pluviculture, um, pluviculture was a time, b- um, before 1946 where they tried all manner of things on, uh, on weather You can go to our newspaper vault and actually see over 800 newspapers from, you know, like, I think it's the earliest is like night 1830, 1850 all the way to present. And what you'll see is up to 1946, they were trying things like using x-rays, like x-ray machines, um, electrified sand, uh, hail, uh, fog cannons, hail cannons. They still use those today. Um, A lot of farmers do. They they believe that it's called concussive weather modifications. The idea that sound could break up the hail, while it's still in the sky so that when it falls, it falls in smaller chunks and doesn't destroy their crops. So a lot of that um, has been going on. You know, the, the U.S. government back in the um, early 1920s actually funded um, the Kellogg um, of the Kellogg cereal, um, you know, C.W. Kellogg to go to Texas and actually shoot cannons into the sky to make it rain. Um, aside from it being a hell of a fireworks show, uh, he failed miserably. Um, and another guy named general dry who was then dubbed in the newspaper dry henceforth, um, he didn't make it rain. In fact, it stopped raining and it didn't rain for quite some time. So, so a lot of massive failures there. And then, um, in 1946, general um excuse me, uh Irving Langmuir, uh Vincent Schaefer and Bernard Vonnegut invented cloud seeding at the General Electric Labs. Now, from you know <laughs> I mean, we could, we could start anywhere. We could go all the way back to Indians rain dancing. We could talk about, you know, um, Antietam in the civil war and how black powder rifles, you know, and all the black powder caused massive rains on the bloody field. Weather modification has happened for a long time. Mm -hmm. Most of it inadvertent. Some of it, um, as Jim Fleming said, if you go outside and you dance for long enough, eventually it will rain. (laughs) Um, so I threw all that out. So we're going to say from 1850, and I and I picked that date because James Pollard Espy was known as the Storm King. He was the guy who made the first U.S. Naval um, weather map, and he proposed burning forest fires on the West Coast to make rain on the East Coast. Kind of like what's going on today. Um, so I figured that was a good starting point. He said that around 1850 um so the timeline i lay it out pluviculture 1850 to 1946 1946 cloud seeding was invented and then you move into the modern era where geoengineering comes into the the fray geoengineering is all things related to controlling the temperature of the planet the idea that, you know, global warming is going to be a serious problem. So we need to somehow create uh with solar radiation management, a shield in the sky to mimic volcanoes, um, you know, by, you know, shooting sulfuric acid, uh, aluminum, titanium, calcium, diamond dust. There have been so many different proposals to create solar shields. In fact, um, a week or two ago, the World Economic Forum with Dar Schwab and company um, actually proposed in a TikTok video that we should put a raft in space at the Lagrange point L1 to block out the sun. And this stems from an idea that comes at MIT. So space based geoengineering, the idea of of a um, nylon slash graphene let's say contact lens in the sky that would block out, um, you know, the sun and and in effect, it would do what volcanoes do naturally. It would change rain rainfall patterns on a worldwide basis. It would be hell on Earth um, for a while. Everybody would swear the end times were coming the minute they put it into the sky. But just, you know, if you're want to look that up, it's MIT space bubble and you're you're right there. The only thing I didn't really include as a major category. um, So I simplified it and I said, all right, all right, we got to kind of reclassify this now, pluviculture and cloud seeding. We're just going to refer to that as weather modification, even though it was early attempts for weather modification. Then there was cloud seeding pretty much there, you know, henceforth 1946. What going on today? That's weather modification. Geoengineering can be classified, also has been renamed many times as climate engineering, also climate intervention, or as some one crazy uh, group called it climate restoration, which is all just mind control, as perception management. They just try to change the term to make it more palatable um, to people. But the other big one is space weather modification. So what HARP does, the High Frequency Active Rural Research Program up in Gakona, Alaska, and the other five big ionospheric heaters around the world, what they do is similar to what cloud seeding does, except it's seeding in space. They shoot electromagnetic waves into the ionosphere to cause electron precipitation they cause electrons to rain out of the ionosphere same as when cloud seeders sprinkle silver iodide into clouds to cause rain to fall on the ground so it's in space weather is a term to just encompass all things related to You know, our ionosphere, the exosphere, what's going on up there, which is generally caused, you know, by solar winds, um, coronal mass ejections, you know, sun farts, all that sort of thing. Um, But the military has a long history of trying to destroy or control the ionosphere going back to the, you know, the 40s. Um, and one of the most famous one, the West for Needles, they dumped 280 million dipole antennas, which were little metal wires uh, into the ionosphere to try to create an artificial ionosphere. It was now it's now known as the dumbest scientific project ever to be conducted to date. Um, if you go to any kind of satellite tracker, they're now classed, classified as space junk. And many of those needles are still circling around and people in the international space station are told, Hey, you need a duck. There's another, uh, needle coming by, at, you know, 27,000 miles per hour. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's that. I think that weather modification, space, weather, modification, geoengineering, pretty much that those three categories, um, sum up the you know the entire history of weather control Mm -hmm. from the ground all the way to space
0: right on now i want to kind of break down each of those a little bit starting with cloud seeding um you know your most basic that you were talking about is this just where they're basically spraying materials at high altitudes to to cause rain
1: and so there's there's actually many different types of cloud seeding Um, so you have glaciogenic cloud seeding. We'll get into some scientific terms. If it goes over your head, trust me, I'll simplify. Um, basically means ice making. Um, the idea that you would in warm clouds, like summertime, they would fly planes into clouds with silver iodide flares attack attached to their wings and they burn them. So um you know typically pilot on a phone with a radar dude and a meteorologist going all right burn it now and they're like yeah hit the button hit the button now and they they burn the silver eye like that orographic um, cloud seeding now orographic clouds are clouds that form over mountains so for this they use a different type of cloud seeding um apparatus is called a ground-based cloud seeding generator. Um, On my other website where I do my mapping, climateviewer.org, you can actually see well over, I think, three or four hundred ground-based cloud seeding generators on the West Coast. Um, They operate every year from October through March. And this is a re- as a result of the uh, Weather Modification Reporting Act of 1972. They have to report by law to NOAA when they're going to do um, these projects. So I know who did it, who paid for it, where they're doing it, how long they're doing it, that sort of thing. You know, a, a typical application for a ground-based cloud seeding generator will say an area of 15,000 square miles. Um so we're talking huge operations and these these happen because they call it snowpack augmentation. The idea of creating artificial snow on top of the Rocky Mountains, you know, all the mountains on the West Coast so that they can pack those mountains with as much snow that by springtime when it melts, it fills the rivers, supplies the water for the always parched West Coast. Um so typically, with cloud seeding, you could really just sum it up in aerial versus ground-based cloud seeding, um, and most people don't know that ground-based cloud seeding is even a thing, and I didn't until I was watching a video I'd uploaded to my YouTube channel. It's, it's on many YouTube channels. Eyes in Space, this Disney film that was made back in the fifties about you know, it's got like. Uh, it's it's animated, of course, because it's Disney and they're they're basically shooting rockets into hurricanes uh, <laughs> and using all these crazy things to try to steer hurricanes. Um, and I'm looking at this going now, who is the brains behind this? And I looked at the, the um, you know, credits and it said technical director Irving P. Crick. Now I'm going, I've never heard of this guy. Let me look him up. And it turns out Irving P. Crick in 1949 was the inventor of the ground-based cloud seeding generator. Um, so I did, you know, obviously, I, add, I added him to my timeline on uh, weathermodificationhistory.com because that was obviously a major milestone. We'd gone from inventing cloud seeding um, And, you know, trying to steer Hurricane less than 11 months later with Project Cirrus um, by plane to, you know, in less than three years, Irving P. Crick, who nobody's ever heard of, um, inventing the ground based cloud seeding generator. I was actually contacted by Irving P. Crick Jr. on Facebook, and he watched a video I made on YouTube and told me I learned more about my dad from you than I have from my own family. <laughs> Which was insane because I had newspaper clippings and all these stories about this guy because he's actually a really you know fascinating character. Um, but that's the main two categories that now, you can sum uh, it up.
0: You mentioned that they're trying to steer hurricanes. How advanced has their efforts become what kind of technologies do they have now and what are they capable of? Well
1: in the early days, uh, like I'd mentioned, 1946, the very next year in October, it was November. So October of 1947, they did Project Cirrus. And this was um, mul- you know, multiple agencies. The I think it was the U.S. Army Air Corps at the time. Uh, but basically, they went up into Hurricane Beulah, and uh, it was actually a tropical depression. So, you know, it wasn't even a full hurricane yet. And they went and did some seeding. Um, they, they dumped some silver iodide into it, some dry ice, things like that. And it changed colors. It changed direction because it was headed out into the ocean in the Atlantic. And it turned right around, became a hurricane, slammed into Georgia doing $3.2 million worth of damage and killing two people so very first attempt didn't go very well people don't like to talk about there was project scud then project storm fury and project storm fury was a huge undertaking that lasted spanned multiple years of multiple hurricanes where the national oceanic and atmospheric administration noaa um was flying multiple missions trying out everything they could you know from you know, dampening what they called heat wells, you know, like trying to deal with the cold spots, you know, do everything they could try. They tried and they failed miserably again. Um, In 1976, there was also a paper um, called Carbon um, Carbon Black Absorption of Solar Radiation. And the idea was to take carbon black dust or soot, and dump it into a hurricane to absorb heat from the sun, which would heat a portion of the hurricane, which could then steer it in a different direction. Now this would seem crazy, but when Obama came into office, Bill Gates, the world's top geo engineers, all got together and had a party with the patent troll, Nathan Mervhold, for Microsoft as well, and came up with a lot, uh, let's say 10 to 15 um, different patent applications for steering hurricanes. Um, And then magically, three or four months later at the weather modification conference that the American Meteorological Society had, they had a whole section dedicated to steering hurricanes. This was followed by uh, In 2008, the Department of Homeland Security holding a hurricane modification workshop where another individual from MIT, of course, named Mosh Alamaro proposed the same idea. Hey, we should dump carbon black dust soot into hurricanes to try to steer them. So you see a history, you know, repeating itself. Old ideas becoming refreshed. Um, other ideas that were mentioned at that hurricane modification workshop: mono layer films, the idea of what they call hurricane emasculation. The earliest mention I ever heard of this was in 1965, while John F. Kennedy was um, in office in a paper. Um, publication titled "Restoring the Quality of Our Environment." Um, all of the all of these references are on weather modification history's timeline, um, and they the idea is that if you were to say take. Um, Yeah, oil make create an artificial oil slick, or use the 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 aerogel. Um, There's there's another type of gel. I can't think of the name of right now. They did attempt it with that, but put this surface oil slick to keep water from evaporating into the hurricane to you know cut off its power source. Um, Other ideas like you know pumps that basically take cold water from deep in the ocean and pump it to the surface to cool the surface um uh, ionization technologies so uh, using electrical methods um these all came up at the hurricane modification workshop that the department of homeland security had in 2008. so to answer the question really um the sky's the limits um in fact while trump was in office Yeah, if you there's a Rolling Stone article, you know, obviously a bunch of um ignorant uh liberals, uh, swamp creatures that were working in his cabinet were making fun of him because he kept talking about China having a hurricane gun. But what they don't know is that there is a long history of weather warfare and a long history of attempts to modify and control hurricanes. So what may sound like cuckoo to them, a, hey, uh, you know, orange man, you know, is over there talking about a hurricane gun, making a joke out of it. He's obviously done a little bit of research on the topic. I'm not saying that he, you know, dug in like someone like me, who's really just studied and studied and studied it. But clearly, even Trump, while in office, knew enough about hurricane control to be concerned about China, because China right now is expanding its weather modification projects to sizes that dwarf anything on the planet. Um, They're actually going to cover the entire Himalayan mountains, Um, three times the size of Spain, two thirds of the size of India is the generic area that they're trying to cover with hundreds of thousands of ground-based cloud seeding generators. They're creating the world's largest, most powerful, extremely low frequency um, transmitter. They're creating a um, ionospheric heater that's estimated to be 10 to 100 times the power of HAARP. Um, so yeah, there's a lot to be concerned about there. Um, and, of course, it was pretty famously during the Beijing Olympics, uh, the Chinese uh, People's Liberation Army were firing rockets to make it not rain on the Olympics. Um, so, they, you know, they clearly China is a threat when it comes to destabilizing weather on a worldwide basis. Um, and that's why, you know, Hurricane uh, Trump was probably right to bring up the fact, you know, has anybody looked into this? Um, But go ahead.
0: Well, now I was going to uh, ask about the the frequencies that are being combined with whatever they're spraying up there. Is that a thing where they're kind of pumping out frequencies into the air to maybe double the cloud cover to maybe affect some of the metals that they're spraying in the sky? Or is that something different?
1: So this is like the number, uh, probably the number one Conspiracy-related thing that I hear on YouTube, um, you know, people see gravity waves in clouds, and they're like, "Well, that's you know, that's harp." Okay. <laughs> okay. Let's be realistic here. Um, harp is in Alaska. Harp's not going to be affecting the weather over your house. First of all, it costs five hundred thousand dollars per hour to run harp, which means it's like never on. Um. In fact, if you want to really know for certain, you can get on things called Web SDR or Software Defined Radio. And there are websites dedicated to just, you know, for like ham radio operators, things like that, where you can listen to signals from you know broadcasting stations all over the planet. And there are a couple around Gacona, Alaska. So if you want to know if HARP is on, it operates from 2.8 to 10 megahertz. 2.8 to 10 megahertz, and you're going to know it's on. And it, all the ham radio operators will be on there at the same time, you know, going up harps back on. But it's pretty rare when it's actually on when the U.S. Air Force and the U.S. Naval Research Lab designed and operated it for years. Um, they had all the instrumentation. You could actually see when it was on. But then, when they sold it to the University of Alaska Fairbanks, um, most of that went away. Um, They took the induction magnetometer, which everybody used to watch for, you know, hey, look, the 2.5 hertz signal is being generated right now. We're going to get an earthquake like Fukushima happened. Happened to be a coincidence. But, um, you know, I've actually talked to the director of um, HARP, uh, Chris Fallon, on the phone uh, multiple times. And, you know, I showed him my presentation on heart pieces. I agree with everything but the last slide. And that was the one where I talked about Fukushima. <laughs> and You know what was going on with that? I said, uh, you know, if, they said the ionosphere heated over Japan um, right before the 9, 9.0 earthquake happened. Hmm. So did the earthquake cause, because this is their argument, earthquakes cause the ionosphere to heat? Because cracks in the ground release radiation, which then heats the ionosphere. Or do ionosphere heaters heat the ionosphere, which then forms cracks in the ground, which then causes an earthquake? So it's the chicken before the egg kind of scenario. But to be specific, um, HARP has created artificial gravity waves. Um, HARP has done what's called a uh, uh traveling ionospheric disturbances uh there, there there's a lot there but if you look locally especially if you go to climateviewer.org you can turn on like every cell phone tower in the world every extremely low frequency ultra low frequency and very low frequency transmitter that's like two million watts that are all over the world um an example at Harold the Harold E Holt transmitter down in Exmouth, Australia. It's actually a ELF trans. It's a VLF transmitter um, at two million watts output. Commonly mistaken as a harp as a ionospheric heater. It is for naval transmissions. Does that matter? No, not to the sky. It's putting out two million freaking watts. Every missile defense radar on the planet, however, these are phased array radars. They're more like HARP. They are a series of tiny antennas with a very focused beam that can be pointed in different directions. And um, one of the biggest ones is, uh, I think, um, 6 million watts. Now, HARP is only 3.6 million watts. So you're talking about 6 million watts out of these missile defense radars, and there are hundreds and thousands of these worldwide. Um, The the, the problem though is about proving whether or not those are actually interfering um, with the weather. Now, scientific papers on this phenomena are sparse. I've managed to find three out of 60 plus years only three people have ever willing to go on the record and say anything about it. Um, but generally speaking, with the missile defense radars, because of their power frequency and the way they work, um, they're able to do things space weather modifications similar to HAARP, um for certain. Things like the NEXRAD Doppler radars, their beams are pointed out to the side. They're not pointed up. So generally, they're not going to affect weather above them. Now, out to the side, there's there's this common theme, um, you know, a term coined by Dutch Sense on YouTube about the harp rings. Um, They're like, look at all these harp rings. No, they're next rad radars. We won't split hairs here. Um, They're rings around these Doppler radars. Are they affecting the weather? Well. I've looked at hundreds, if not thousands of videos, and the thing is, for me to to say for certain that an X-ray Doppler radar is affecting the weather, I would need to see a cloud coming in, hitting a beam like a wall, and then being diverted around it. Now, that would be concrete evidence, okay? Or... In the case of uh, like, say, Hurricane Sandy, um, you know, many of these hurricanes, you'll see like flashes from the Doppler radars hitting the hurricanes. These, These are also really popular videos. But at the end of the day, did it really change the hurricane? If you look at the hurricane from a satellite view, from a rain point stance, from all the different and from infrared. Did it change anything that's did it actually modify the hurricane? You can't say for certain because it looks exactly the same. It was already spinning that way. The tails were already there. There was a flash. Nothing really changed. So I, too, like many others, have been looking for years on end for concrete evidence of electromagnetic radiation, modifying weather. I just haven't seen any smoking guns except for once one time I saw a large jet stream pattern cloud that was going into Kekona, Alaska, and it hit a brick wall on, you know, this is me looking at it on Google Earth with the satellite overlays and everything, and I'm clicking through the time. Tick, 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 tick. And you can literally see these clouds come in and hit a brick wall. I had a recording of it. I lost that recording. You have no idea how bad this upsets me, but it was only one time in 14 years that I've been doing this. Have I seen anything that I would you know classify as for certain? This is not normal. Here's a radar inter- or an ionosphere heater in this case, um, interrupting the
0: weather. Yeah. Well, that's uh, that's still interesting enough. Now let's stay in in the conspiratorial realm here. Um there have been many in this community that believe that they are Spraying nefarious substances, maybe chemicals, maybe drugs. Uh, There's some that believe that they catch some kind of disease called Morgellons, where they have like fibers that they've been spraying Mm -hmm. in the air. Um, I've, you know, I've had a couple of guests talk about this stuff. Uh, We do know that in the past they've, uh, you know, CIA has like dosed the uh, whole neighborhoods with LSD. So I mean, it wouldn't be that far out of the realm. But I don't know. What do you think about this? What can we do to fight back against big pharma and the compromised medical industry? We can become healthy and break free from the perpetual cycle of being poisoned by criminal organizations like most pharmaceutical companies. Come check out what may be the most powerful antioxidant known to man, C60 Purple Power. The benefits of C60 have been personally outstanding. I use it every day and I feel incredible. I have tons of energy, I sleep great, and I haven't even come down with a cold since I started using C60 over two years ago. You can even get C60 for your pets. Do your own research, click the link in the description, and check out their website. If you order from that link or use coupon code KNOWLEDGE10, you get 10% off your order plus free shipping. What is your health worth to you?
1: Well, again, this is one of those where you really got to break it down into two categories. You've got what's going on in commercial aviation, your average everyday Delta Southwest, all of that sort of thing, um, airlines. And for certain, beyond a shadow of a doubt, aviation fuel. And I mean, I could share a screen and show you this. All right. Let me just uh, bring this up real quick and we'll share this. Shared. All right. As you can see here, metals detected in, uh, did that, is that still full screen? I made this infographic to share with people. And this is just metals detected in jet exhaust. Um, And what you see is sodium, magnesium, potassium, calcium, uh, strontium, barium, scandium, titanium, vanadium, chromium, manganese, iron, cobalt, nickel, copper, zirconium, niobium, molybdenum, aluminum, silicon, tin, lead, sulfur, and selenium. For certain, Beyond a shadow of a doubt, I have not only documents from the DTIC.mil, uh, which is the military's document dump website, in addition to multiple scientific reports where they actually stuck a sniffer up to the back of a jet engine that they just fueled up with jet fuel. All of these metals are coming out in the exhaust. shit this is what's creating the clouds we see so soot carbon black dust is filled with these metals in the cirrus clouds because after a contrail chemtrail plane fart whatever you want to call it after it fans out and becomes a cloud that is a cirrus cloud is an ice cloud in fact double detection on this one. Um, Whenever uh, multiple, you know, universities have done this study and they've gone up Germany's DLR, um, a group out of Sweden, they flew up into the clouds and they actually detected the metals, the the cloud seeds, because we were talking about cloud seeding. Every cloud is made of seeds. It's made of three things some speck of dust, water vapor, and ionizing radiation or static electricity, something to make the water stick to the dust. The dust could be mold, bacteria, or metals. There are many other types of cloud seeds. In fact, even trees make cloud seeds naturally. Um, But in the case of commercial aviation, soot is filled with metals, All of the metals I just listed, they're already in the gas, no pumps pipes necessary. And whenever they went up and flew in those clouds, they detected that 75% of the cloud seeds in those cirrus clouds were man-made metals. So you cannot argue with that. Um, Now, to the flip side with the military operations, um, have you ever heard of Agent Green?
0: I've heard you talk about it before.
1: Okay, so Agent Green was, um, they had this thing called Plan Columbia, and the idea was similar to um, Operation Ranch Hand that happened in Vietnam, where they were spraying all of the rainbow um, chemicals, Agent Orange, Agent Blue. There's many different agents. Most people have only heard of Agent Orange. Mm. Um, But Agent Green specifically was to target uh coca leaves the the cocaine plants um down in Colombia in South America and they were flying flights where they would spray out this fungicide this is this man-made uh, bacteria f oxysporum um it, it basically is a man-made fungus that would kill the cocaine crops the problem is it then migrated all the way up through Mexico and was found in corn feed and in the brains of cows in Texas. These are the types of things that nobody wants to talk about. So, um, I did an article on climateviewer.com called Five Types of Real Chemtrails. And these are examples of, you know, where the military, um, you know, just basically for the betterment of society. Oh, you know, the war on drugs, you know, whatever their excuses are, um, they go and they spray stuff. Now the Morgellons issue is a totally different issue. Um, (laughs) and I've kind of, I've dove into this one. Um, but the idea that they're somehow spraying Morgellons from planes, I find to be highly laughable. And This is me literally going against friends and colleagues on this one, because, you know, um, Alana Freeland is a good friend. Uh, You know, been featured in three of her books, Clifford Carnicom, you know, took her by the arm and said, come down to the house and look in your blood. Oh, you've got Morgellons in your blood. It comes from the plains. And I'm just going over here like. Alana, you don't have Morgellons, honey, chill out. Um, but even if you did, how can you prove that it came from a plane? Mm. Right. Because that's, that's really the problem that I have with just about every topic I talk about. I like to say that my information is stuff you could take to the courthouse. You know what I mean? I don't go out, you know, making a bunch, a bunch of speculation, unless I tell you straight up. It is my belief that I think that I'm speculating that I'll let you know when I'm, you know, going with my gut on something. Generally speaking, I'm going to tell you here are the facts. The facts are this, and then beyond that, it is my guess that yeah, that probably that that shit's probably happening. Um, but with Morgellons, now. I'd I'd been loath to talk about it for quite a while, and I was actually approached by a Morgellon survivor who actually, in my opinion, is somewhat of an expert on the subject. His name is Jeremy Murphy, and um, he took a lot of offense to a video I made, and made a comment on my video. And I was like, well, holler at me, dude. You know, here's my email. Here's my phone. We talked for a while and, you know, he said, no, it's related to Lyme disease. And I started thinking about that. And he said, you know, it's actually in a lot of cases, you know, what people see as fibers coming out of their skin is the same idea as you creating fingernails, except you're growing fingernails all over your body. It's the same type of material. Now, of course, you see these fancy videos where it actually looks like red string, blue string and all this. My initial thought was, hey, you know, whenever I flick my nylon towel in the bathroom and then the sun's coming through the window i see plastic fibers all in the air morgellons is most likely you know just like shrapnel slowly works its way out of a body mm-hmm. you know you can get like a piece of you know you hear stories about people in the military getting a grenade and then years later the the metals like right below the skin surface and you know it's worked its way to the surface that sort of thing So, I mean, you excrete things through your sebaceous glands, your sweat glands and all of that. I thought, hey, maybe there's a possibility. We all eat, um, I think, a credit card worth of plastic per week.
0: Oh, shit.
1: This is the latest estimates, Um, especially if you own a microwave. Um, Uh, No. (laughs) If you're dumb enough to own a microwave today, um, you're eating a lot of plastic. Uh. Um, so that was my initial thoughts on it. But Jeremy really kind of broke down the science behind it. He provided documentation to prove his case beyond a shadow of a doubt, in my opinion. And then that led me back to something I had learned years ago that in 1991 on Plum Island, which is where they it's bio safety lab, uh, where they have all these infectious diseases for um, animals and it's on um, Plum Islands, right by New York, Hurricane Bob hit Plum Island. They lost power. And as a result, all containment was breached. Shit. And that place was filled with. Many different forms of Lyme disease, which then traveled to the ticks, which then made their way all the way down the East Coast and all the way around America at this point, um. And Morgellons has been associated with everything from self-manifestation to, you know, people like, you know, I've read every paper where they they blame it on everything but um, Lyme's disease. But um, he provided some pretty concrete evidence. You combine that with the Plum Island uh, containment leak that happened. I read this directly from the Department of Homeland Security's mouth where they were doing an audit on Plum Island. And it was firsthand testimony from individuals who went to the site after um, they had breaches and they said they entered the facility. All containment had been breached and that mosquitoes were feasting on blood samples, Petri dishes and animal waste in the facility. So not only did the ticks get some, but mosquitoes were in there feeding on it. Whatever was in there, it spread everywhere. so these types of things are the the things that that creep me out. Not the idea that the government spraying more gallons. Now that's not to say that the government isn't nefarious as hell. <laughs> yeah. The U.S. Army Chemical Corps sprayed zinc cadmium sulfide, which is a radioactive element, from coast to coast in what was called the Manhattan Rochester Coalition or a spinoff of the manhattan project where they wanted to study aerosol behavior of clouds in cities and they wanted to simulate a nuclear attack and the fallout that would occur um with a less radioactive material and of course the military the the u.s army chemical corps says we didn't hurt anybody but there are literally dozens of first-hand accounts from people who were alive and in the areas and permanently physically harmed from these springs. Um, they did it, you know, in uh, downtown St. Louis in a predominantly black neighborhood. Um, I have the full listing. You know, it's it's all over the country, but one of their projects was called Operation Lac LAC or Large Area Coverage, where they took a I think it was a C one seventeen box car. Uh, plane, and they flew it from California all the way to, you know, like Virginia, and they just sprayed zinc, cadmium sulfide out of the back of a plane. Now, here's my problem with chemtrails, the chemtrail theorists. Mm -hmm. If the government is doing this today, I just want you to let this sink in. They sprayed zinc, cadmium sulfide from coast to coast in 1958, and we did not find out about this till 2012, 20, is he between 2012 and 2017. So like 60 freaking years later, we found out. Yeah. So generally speaking, if the government, the military is involved in something like this top secret, and especially in an age where all the journalists on the news are bought and paid for and usually have a CIA operator in the same building mm. where everything is coordinated news, any dissent is immediately shut down, any leak is immediately I mean there were literally people go on T V going, you know, it's illegal for you to look at the WikiLeaks dump, but we're journalists, so we're allowed to look at it. That's absolute bullshit um so we live in that time um and it that makes it so much harder i can't imagine the reporter jack anderson who saw the note on lyndon johnson's desk about the weather warfare going on in vietnam operation popeye who then reported it in the pentagon papers that was then published in the new york times That could never happen today because that disclosure led to the Russians and the United States going to the United Nations and signing a weather warfare ban in 1978. The problem is there's no way to catch anybody doing it. Um, So we're in a situation where even though weather warfare is illegal, there's no way to catch anybody doing it. Um, I've proposed some... um, you know, add ons to the legislation, as well as taking it to a country by country and even a state by state level, the environmental modification accountability act to make the environmental modification convention in mod um, have some teeth. But until that happens, we cannot prove when the military is doing weather warfare. We certainly won't be able to prove there. you know, um, spraying x chemical or hell they may be spraying more gallons and i might be an ass don't trust me um but the thing is um we we can't ever verify any of this stuff even the 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 companies that are doing cloud seeding if they end up screwing with the weather and that causes a tornado or a flood or you know basketball size hail to you know you can't even prove when they did it and sue them because even in you know the weather modification reporting act of 1972 it's just uh, two forms of sheets of paper you fill out and you send to noaa and it doesn't it's not specific it's they they literally write on there we will be operating from october through march well what day at what time october through march i need to know that this cloud seeding generator was on at 2:45 PM on this day and operated for this many hours so that I can then look at the weather radar and say, okay, well, they messed with this storm right here. And then over here, two states away, tornadoes came out of that storm causing, you know, X million dollars of damage. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, guys, they they screwed with that storm over there. You should be able to sue them for damages. Um, I think that would bring the weather modification industry to a grinding halt. But that's my fe- that's my hope for the future. Um, and one day we may get there. Um, the problem is right now there's no accountability. There's no transparency, and that's why there is so much conspiracy. With you know, whenever there is a lack of information, there are plenty of people willing to fill that vacuum with speculation i don't blame them i i don't trust the government any further than i can throw them which is not very far because they're a lot of them and they're heavy
0: yeah, yeah. The encouraging thing is is the time we're in and the mistakes they've made. People are starting to see a lot of this corruption and and dirty side of the government. So that's the only you know, encouraging thing right there. Yeah. Uh, now I want to get your take on this. Uh, for the longest time, it seems like the sun has been changing colors. I don't know if it's just a misremembrance on my part, but it seems I grew up in the '80s and '90s, and I remember the the sun being like orange or yellow when I was a kid, and now it looks like a fluorescent white light bulb. Is this something in our atmosphere that is changing this? Or is it the sun change? What are your thoughts on this? Um,
1: <clears throat> if you go to weather modification history's timeline, click on tags, show tags, and then click on artificial clouds, if you can see that. And you can scroll down and let me find the exact one. It's right near the end, December 2015, commercial aviation creating ice haze and air quotes accidental geoengineering. Now, there was a gentleman named Chuck Long, and he wrote a paper um, titled Accidental Geoengineering, and he gave a, a presentation, evidence of clear sky daylight whitening are we conducting geoengineering this was given at the noaa earth systems research lab global monitoring annual conference for the cooperative institute for research of environmental sciences university of uh, colorado boulder 2015. this is published on noaa.gov in their annual meetings um and he said and he has another scientific piece significant Significant Decadal Brightening of Downwelling Shortwave in the Continental United States. A little more sciencey for that title, but I think the other ones pretty much say it all. Evidence of Clear Sky, Daylight Whitening. Now, what is he saying here? This is ironic because most people refer to you know the white lines, the clouds, the plane farts, the chemtrails, the contrails that spread out, and make cirrus clouds. They refer to that as geoengineering. Mm. And technically it is. Um, of course, they say it's accidental geoengineering, but he's not even talking about that. He's talking about what you just asked. Why is the sun seen white? And the simplest answer is if you look up directly up, it's blue up there. It's bluish. And as you look towards the horizon, it's milky white. Now, most people, this should resonate with you. By the way, my nickname goes, my nickname has been resonated, R-E-Z-N-A-D, 8 D, for 30 years on the internet. So I hope that this part that I'm about to say to you resonates with you. So the scientists dug deeper in a provocative new analysis, not yet published. I'm quoting an article that was published on the NOAA website. Long, being Chuck Long, suggests that high altitude ice haze created by water and other emissions from aircraft is responsible. Quote, I'm talking about a sub visual. Contrail generated haze of ice, which we do not classify as a cloud, but gives the blue sky a more whitish tint. Not only does it make the sky whiter, it changes diffuse light. How light actually diffuses down to the ground, which would change the appearance or color of the sun. This is scientific evidence proven by a now dead chuck long i wanted to get a follow-up interview with him and then when looked him up a couple months ago and then realized that he passed away and i was like son of a bitch Mm. um this is you know but so far he's the only one to ever say anything about this he presented all of his evidence Hell, the evidence is right in front of you. You can see it go out in, on any clear, you know, clearish day and you'll see blue overhead. It'll still be white on the horizon. And this is caused by the the gradual buildup of aerosols. Aerosols are, you know, any type of material that floats freely and gases. Um, so, you know, all of the. The soot, the metals that I was talking about that come out of the planes, they can attach to water vapor and not become a cloud. They just hang out up there. And the higher the flight, the longer they hang out. So as a result of not only them, but rocket launches, um, when the space shuttle would take off, 340 million tons of aluminum came out of the solid rocket boosters. 340 million tons for one launch Now you think about all the satellites being launched all the time, all the rockets. I don't know what SpaceX is rocking right now. I'm going to look into that actually now that you mentioned that I have mentioned it here. Um, but when you combine all of these things together, plus the international shipping with their ship tracks, Um, You know, the heavy fuel oil or bunker fuel that creates chemtrails that are, you know, or what they call marine strato cumulus. Basically, all of these chemicals that are being put out into the upper atmosphere are combining to make the sky whiter over time. And they're building up a haze that is changing the color of the sun. It's not your imagination.
0: Man, that, make, that makes a lot of sense. All right, I want to take the last few minutes we have and talk about the dangers of these millimeter wave frequencies that we're dealing with, 5G, uh, if any, and uh, Wi-Fi. And, and just we're surrounded with uh, electromagnetic soup these days and you know, some of the dangers we might be facing with this.
1: So um, most people probably are unfamiliar with my story, but I developed Graves' disease. And it's called hyperthyroidism. Um, There's hypothyroidism, which makes you tired and gain weight. I got the bad one, which makes you never sleep. You while I was asleep, my heart would be beating 120 beats a minute, Um, which for those who don't know, that's like when you're running track and you stop and you're out of breath. That's me asleep. Um, And. You know, I would constantly lose weight. I would literally eat like 10 bowls of cereal before I'd go to bed um, so that I wouldn't lose weight that night. And I'd still lose two or three pounds when I wake up. Um, <clears throat> I was an IT guy working in a tire shop. I was their help desk, dude. I ran 95 computers, had a cell phone on this ear, a Bluetooth in this ear, two big 25 inch monitors in front of me. Um, and a wireless keyboard, a wireless mouse, a wireless phone next to me, and a wide area network Wi-Fi that literally had a range of about almost a mile that was four feet from my head on the server rack behind me. Now I was doing okay, at least I thought I was, till for the first time in my life, um the boss, the owner of the company said, everybody needs to get a flu shot this year. In fact, we're having flu shots. Come over to the main office. You know, I brought a nurse in; they're going to give everybody flu shots. I took the flu shot and I don't, you know, I don't know whether it was the metals entering my body from that flu shot that combined with the buildup of electromagnetic radiation that fried my um, thyroid. I'd also had a car accident where I had twisted my neck, but regardless, um from that point forward in my life, I was extremely electro responsive. Like um I, you know, I can feel the Wi-Fi on if it's on in my house. As a result, um if you go to climateviewer.com slash emf, climateviewer.com slash emf as in electromagnetic frequencies. Um what you'll see is that basically we're we are in a soup of um of electromagnetic radiation it's commonly referred to um by many things but i like the term electro smog um and the reason that it affects you is because Basically, in a paper that I found on the National Institute of Health, DNA is a fractal antenna in electromagnetic fields. So at our very smallest bits and pieces, the DNA damage could account for increases in cancer epidemiology because um, of the greater reactivity of DNA with EMF in the environment. So. Our nervous system is like an antenna, okay? as the electricity around you, the electro smog, the soup you live in, everything from that Doppler radar has more of a chance of frying you than frying the weather um especially if you live on say like the twelfth floor of a skyscraper, you can actually look at the Doppler radars, which are pulsing out you know. 200, in some cases, 300,000 watts um, hitting, they, they're hitting right at the level of these skyscrapers where these people are, you know, on the 13th through the 30th floor. Um, and it actually obstructs the view of the, the Doppler radar. You can see where the radar has this big cone cut out of it because there's a building right here and it can't see behind it because it's reflecting right off the building guess what? That's you getting electro fried or wi fried as I like to put it. Um, as a result, my house, everything in my house is wired now. Um, I, I I don't have anything that I, you know, I'm an IT guy already running some RJ 45 cat six cable. Not a problem for me. Um, we have limited use of cell phones. In fact, um, in the in the UK, it's actually uh, the UK Chief Medical Officer strongly advises that children and teenagers under sixteen should not use mobile phones except for essential calls. Um, the European Parliament commented that on the BioInitiative International report and stated the limits on exposure to electromagnetic fields, which have been set for the gen- general public, are obsolete. And called upon the council to set stricter exposure limits for all equipment which emits electromagnetic waves. And the Germans government, um, Germany's government health protection agency recommends the public reduce their exposure to high frequency radiation to minimize health risks. Um, because we really, when when they came up with the the safety limits for cell phones, they they basically used. 21 year old male army subjects. So they used the the skull of a you know 21-year-old male and they put a brain in there and then they tested the EMF limits that were being you know received by you know the cell phones and things. The thing is, if you're under 16 years old, your skull is not fully formed, it's still gotta grow. So for younger children, their skulls, their bones, and all of that, they they actually allow more radiation to penetrate deeper into the brain. Having a baby monitor that's wireless next to a you know a young infant is absurdly stupid. Um, and then you know I've seen people I I get called by people all the time who say I'm a targeted individual you know, constantly hearing all these tweaks and, you know, buzzes and everything like that. I give them the same conversation every time I say, do you have a cell phone? Yes. Do you sleep with your cell phone on at night? Yes. Is it next to your bed? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Do you have Wi-Fi in your house? Yes. Have, do you ever turn it off? No. Do you, <laughs> you know, I just, I started going through these, you know, the usual checklists, And almost every time the answer is yes. And I had um, one individual in particular, and she was big into chemtrails as well. I gave her some suggestions. You know, I said, look, I don't think you're targeted because you talk about chemtrails. You need to cut the, you know, you cut it off. You you, don't cut the cord. You know, use the cord. Don't use the cell phone. I want you to do, and then secondarily, How do you deal with it? How do you fix the problem? Well, there are two terms for this earthing or grounding. So whether it be 5G radiation, you're not going to be able to stop that. What are you going to do? Chop them all down. So the best thing you can do as an individual is deal with it yourself. And you need to understand how electromagnetic radiation works with the human body and how to get it out. And just like with all electrical equipment, if it's grounded, it's safe because that electricity will return into the ground naturally. So, by simply taking off your rubber shoes, which insulate you from the ground, and the best case scenario, you could literally just make a small little mud hole in your backyard, fill it full of water, stick your feet in it, stand there for. 20, 30 minutes, um, there's a reason why indigenous tribes buried people up to their neck in mud for thousands of years because of its benefits for the human health. Um, It's the reason why when you go to the beach, you feel so damn warm and fuzzy afterwards because of all that salt, that water, and that sand and your bare feet on it. Um, The problem is that so many people live in these urban concrete jungles, um, you know, inundated with wireless signals, um, never taking off rubber shoes, even in their own house. I mainly wear the rubber flip flops in my house because, you know, when you got a five, six year old running around, there's little landmines everywhere. Um, So I understand. But, you know, I live in South Carolina. So my wife, you know, she's a country girl. She never wears shoes. And as a result, my daughter's never do either. So I'm the idiot out in the backyard with shoes on while everybody else is running around like they're a bunch of hobbits. Um, But it's good practice to at least understand this. Now, to answer your question specifically about the millimeter waves. um, If you live in a rural setting, I would be less concerned about Five g than if you live in say a large city with a dense urban population mm-hmm. because the walls of your house block five g to a large extent um trees can block five g because millimeter waves are, are so you know short in their wavelength um They're not powerful at distance. You have to be relatively close to a 5G tower and emitter for it to be damaging. Even then, because of the way millimeter waves work, the military uses them as weapons as um, riot control. They have this thing called the active denial system, Um, and there are other ones uh, like there are many of these. Uh, Anyway, we won't start listing them off, but these millimeter wave devices, basically they burn the dermis. So they burn the skin because millimeter waves tend to only reach several millimeters into the skin. They're not actually going to make it to your brain. Generally speaking, whereas a 2.8, um, you know, megahertz signal, something in the, you know, the Wi-Fi range, the 4G range is actually more damaging to human health than the 5G is. And that's not a popular opinion. That's just science, bitches. Um, So the the truth is, the lower on the frequency spectrum you go, the more it passes through a human body. In fact, ultra-low frequency VLA ELF, ULF, ELF, and VLF will pass completely through your body and not even notice you, not even lose power on the way out. Um, Extremely low frequency and ultra low frequency can actually reach the bottom of the ocean. They pass, quote, through bone and stone. Um, They can actually use ELF to look underground for miles to find Um, nuclear bunkers and caves and oil and stuff. If you tried to point a 5G radar at the ground, you might get a couple inches into the ground. Um, So at the end of the day, understanding how, you know, power over distance, specific absorption rate, all these things. um, I, I don't think that people really understand these things, but if you live close to a 5G emitter, yeah, Any there have been horror stories from people who live in apartment complexes where they decided to put, you know, cell towers right on the roof. I was at the beach at Myrtle Beach just recently, and, you know, almost every single hotel that I saw along the beachfront had some form of cell phone tower array on top of it. Now, combine that with the fact that I'm on my vacation. I don't like Wi-Fi. And guess what I look and I gotta flip my Wi-Fi on my cell phone <clears throat> within range of the beach house that we rented, there were 47 Wi-Fi hotspots. Jesus. That are in my room, in my bed where I sleep. So I can't even be comfortable. You know, like hell, the fluorescent lights at the Walmart and the Wi-Fi they have in there can make me dizzy sometimes. So you think I like going to the beach, seeing 47 Wi-Fi's plus a 5G signal showing up on my phone? Plus I'm seeing all of the—it's everywhere. Um, so yeah, we are—we are swimming in a sea of electromagnetic radiation. The—the uh, the only thing you can really do about it is protect yourself, um, limit your exposure. Uh, if I—if I do use the cell phone, just like um, you had texted me earlier, because i was late for that um <laughs> and i did you know i didn't even make a call because i try to avoid using the phone at all and whenever i do use it if i turn if i turn this thing on it's right now it's on airplane mode i mean it's on airplane mode 90 percent of the time so i turned it off of airplane mode saw your message and was like oh snap um And then if I would have called you, I'd be holding it over here on speakerphone as far away from me as possible. But that didn't help the guy who actually sued the um, cell phone industry because he got cancer in his hands. Shit. Wow! If you ever get that hot ear. That is your cell phone cooking your ear. These are people cookers. No doubt about it. Use
0: them responsibly that's insane man yeah we live in a hell of a time uh to close out maybe let some people know the people know what's the best way that they they can protect themselves you gave a couple of solutions grounding uh stay off of the the cell phone stay away from those areas but is there any other solutions people could uh, maybe implement
1: well i saw a great video about defending yourself against electromagnetic weapons Um, Because I I hear a lot of people talking about DEWs. Um, In fact, uh, down in Australia, uh, there was uh, alleged use of an LRAD on uh, uh, crowds that were there, um, you know, disputing the vaccine mandates, that sort of thing. Um, Believe it or not, you can take a poster. Say you're going to, you know, um, go and protest something. Well, take your poster and line the back of it with, wait for it, tinfoil. This actually works. Um, Using uh, Faraday cages, uh, that works. Um, But if you're going to be out in public, surrounding yourself in a Faraday cage is impossible. Um, They make taser suits. Um, This is a pretty fascinating thing where it's pretty much like chain link. Um, which has a grounding strap that goes underneath your shoe, so even if somebody were to hit you with a taser, the electricity would flow through the electro, the, the metal mesh right into the ground. Um, I always envisioned myself as Batman, and I was going to build this suit so that I could go to like an Antifa, you know, beat down that was occurring, and then use two bats. That had cattle prods in each end, and I had like big chobham freaking armor with the the taser proof soup and all that I don't... and a nice guy fox mask that's made of <laughs> like titanium um yeah. but I mean barring all that uh protecting yourself from electro smog there is nothing there's no smoking gun there's no chemical there's no pill you can take um the best you can do is you know really um you know obviously the earthing and grounding is the best solution for that sort of thing. There are steps and there are good informational videos on protecting yourself from directed energy weapons. But even then, um, if you go from electromagnetic to sonic weapons, you might as well give up on that because infrasound weapons, they, there is no defense against them. Um, an infrasound cannon could level an entire city and would destroy the weapon system, even if a robot carried it into battle. Um, So they, they, there are much worse things than nuclear bombs out there on the horizon. Uh, I hope we never come to a world war three because it'll make all the sci-fi writers envious uh, when they see, you know, a Bofors system in action or any of these, you know, really dangerous infrasound or DW systems, rods of God and all that sort of thing. Yeah. Everything that I've read about just scares the hell out of me.
0: Hell yeah, man. That's, that's a whole other show and we definitely have to do that. We'll have to uh, have you back on in the future to talk about all that stuff.
1: Certainly, man. There's hell a lot yeah. of forbidden knowledge out there, man, but knowledge with knowledge comes power and power. comes power. Great responsibilities. I tell everybody at the end of every video I do attack ideas, not people. Um, and I say that because there is an active attack on your brain happening every day. And it's not with directed energy weapons. It's with words. Um, so, don't let people use slave speak and perception management, and mind control techniques, neuro linguistic programming, narrative networks, just general bullshit to scare you because fear is the mind killer. Um, and love is the antidote. I mean, love is my religion, Ziggy Marley, gotta love it. Oh. Um, but at the end of the day, don't be fearful of the future, be hopeful. Take advantage of the internet to find solutions. If the person you're listening to is telling you a bunch of scary shit and they have no solution, or even try to give you some good advice on what to do about it, they're making money off your fear. Right. And the same is true of the mainstream media. It has is true of every advertisement you've ever seen. Um, you better buy this makeup or people might think you're ugly. You better take this pill or people might see you as fat. You might better buy this new dress. It'll make you look pretty. Wouldn't want to look ugly. That's last season. Um, everything is fear motivated. So um, I say no, no to fear porn and uh, yes to
0: information. I, I fear only that which I do not know. Um, Love it, man. Perfect note to end on. Uh, let the audience know where they can find your work. You got climateviewer.com, right? Yeah. The the simplest way to, to, to find everything,
1: because I have a YouTube Bitchute Rumble Odyssey, three websites, and a whole bunch of social medias. All of them are on connect.climateviewer.com. I made my own Linktree because uh, Linktree was being rude to me and deleted my page for no apparent reason. And then I made my own link tree, sent them a link to my link tree to the admin team and said, why would you delete mine? They're like, oh, we're sorry. We didn't mean to do that. It was an accident. Put it back up. Um, but anyway, I have my own link tree. It's a connect.climateviewer.com. And it links to... All of my things, including my email and phone number. So people get in touch with me, my Patreon, my PayPal, everything I do is free of charge, open source. Um, you can download anything from any of my websites or any video I make and mirror it anywhere um, because I do this for the love of it. Um, I'm, you know, a nerd. I care about my children's future, and that's why I'm dedicated to, you know, exposing Specifically, weather modification history, because I think that if people are armed with that, um, we can shut up these climate change uh, deniers. (laughs) The ones who deny that it's um, them changing the climate, not (laughs) us with our CO2 emissions. Because that cow farts. Yeah, the cow farts. And, oh, let's ban firewood in fucking Oregon because, oh, my God, you're contributing to global warming. I can't take it anymore. So. We gotta fight. We have to push back with information. That's why I say attack ideas, not people. And you can't form those ideas if you're not, you know, don't have the information. Rely on responsible people. And call me on my bullshit too. And um, you know, that's that's I say that to everybody. Don't trust me. Don't trust anybody. You know, I don't trust myself half the time. So, um, keep keep me honest if if anything i said today doesn't jive right or you got more information than i do on it hit me up with an email i am not too proud to admit what i'm wrong and i appreciate you having me on dude it's always fun having a great conversation
0: i love it man that was great we're going to definitely do it again in the future and until next time everyone have an excellent evening we'll talk again tomorrow